Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Hey, just before we get started, this is a conspiracy, paranormal, and true crime podcast. The nature of this podcast is gory, unsettling, and definitely vulgar. And we curse a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. So be advised that we are not detectives, we are not professionals, and we are not aliens. (laughs) Well, we might be aliens. (laughs) But what we are sure of is that we are just two idiots with a mic. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. And this is episode 91. 90. 90. Just 90. kidding. Sorry, guys. We've been changing some things around. Like, you guys know, we have been recording early. And then we, we anyways, we've been doing a lot of recording us. Um, but today, we're recording a special location. Morgan, tell where we're recording. <laughs> Taylor and I have um, makeshift a recording studio in the comfort of Taylor and her husband's bed, and I am currently <laughs> in the spot of her husband's Logan. side of the bed. Yeah, um, and I'm just sitting here chilling. We have Willy Wonka on the TV or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. it's on mute. The captions are on. I'm totally into it right now. I'm actually more into it than what's going on and what we're talking about. She's probably pissed at me and wants it off the TV. No, because I can't stop watching it. We're probably gonna have to change it to something else because it's so like, good. We just need to put on The Office or something. Something that we've already seen all. I could totally do that. It's off Netflix. Um, But no, so we are... It's off Netflix? Yes, it's off Netflix. Where are we supposed to watch it? Um, Peacock. Peacock? Yeah. Do you have Peacock? I do. I have every... Are you kidding? You have every stream. I have every streaming service ever. No, no. She really does. She has every single (laughs) streaming service. Every single one. Because she's an avid TV watcher. A worker. A worker. I work, She's an I work TV the TV. Worker. She does. She works on t- television. Duh. <laughs> B- the biz. The biz. But oh, we shit. we were watching Charlie and the Chocolate Chocolate Factory. We had to press pause and watch this one scene because we both couldn't pay attention long enough to finish this freaking he intro. Got, he got the golden ticket. We were like, all right, we have pause the episode. This. We have to watch this. We forgot all about how, I forgot how amazing it is. But then we had a long conversation about what each of the children represent in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's like the sins. Of- yeah, it's the sins. It's gluttony, uh, lust and wrath. Pride. Pride. What was the other one? Greed. Did greed. you say that? Yeah, greed. God. And I was like, I, I remember learning about, so I, you know, you watch this like when you're younger, like when it came out. Like I remember watching this on a movie day at school. And then I watched it again when I was in, I think my psychology class in high school. Really? Yeah, we were learning about like the 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 message behind this. Like it was a lot more than just like 
obviously religion it it had like a lot to do with like psychological profiling of people with these like tendencies and characteristics can basically break you from like getting your overall goals or like anything in world the world yeah holy shit yeah so now every time i watch it i'm like wow wow shit is deep wow so we would need to reevaluate our lives here we do (laughs) i wonder how we would do in charlie and the chocolate factory i don't know I don't know either. Like, I would be so, like, nonchalant and just, like, happy to be there, I think. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'd be like, Daddy, I want the square now. (laughs) Daddy, they're taking too long. Can you speed up time? Daddy, speed up time now. Right. (laughs) I'm Violet Boulevard. I chewed gum to get my way here. And the fucking kid with the chocolate all over his mouth. And he's like, (laughs) mmm, gross. I love chocolate. Yeah, he literally can't stop talking long enough to like get a breath in from yeah, I the just, amount like, of Yeah, I just wasn't like that like interesting as a kid, I feel like. I don't I just don't think I would think of it as a competition because I don't feel like it was ever presented as a competition, like mainly just getting the tickets. Right. But like yeah. what's a grand prize? Like what competitions are we going to be doing? You know what I mean? Sorry. I'm just breaking my mic over here. Oh no. Oh no. Oh guys, you have to hear what what I made today. The salsa <gasps> ordeal I made. Oh, so good. It was so good. Okay, get your pens and papers. Press pause. N- not on us but like press pause on driving pull over on the side of the road you're running you're not ready for this take it off cruise control if you're walking stop okay this is that get a like watermelon and cut it in quarters thinly slice the watermelon into cubes okay and then you get a cucumber and you thinly as much as you want like i liked it to be equal with the amount of watermelon i think i used one and a half cucumbers then chop up cubes tiny 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 cubes okay like pico de gallo and then you're gonna get half of an avocado you can probably use a whole avocado but i'm kind of weird about avocado lemon juice half of a red onion thinly diced and then you put lemon juice olive oil or you can use avocado oil i use a little bit of both because i'm almost out of both and then you put salt, pepper, feta cheese as much feta cheese as you want i'm a feta cheese whore so i put a ton Huge whore for feta cheese. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I think that was it. It was so good. And you used it with with blue tortilla chips. We had blue corn tortilla chips with it. Amazing. It was so good. It's delicious. Uh, We pounded like the entire thing. It was from TikTok, right? It was from TikTok. It was from Bria. She's got the blonde hair. She's a very soft-spoken little blonde girl. She's really, really sweet. She does it with mango. All that same stuff instead of watermelon mango. And she adds like spicy... um, like roasted corn into it oh my god that sounds great and she also uses uh spicy honey from trader joe's mm, spicy honey i've never heard of that but that oh sounds amazing god. honestly on anything even just honey. toast that sounds so good mm, i love spicy honey uh so should we tell them about our weekend did we already tell them about our no weekend? i deleted that whole part because we were too busy watching charlie and the chocolate Factory. oh and we were just like zonked out yeah we were just like totally zonked. attention at all um so we drove to memphis it was me taylor our friend mckenna um aaron and logan um, we went to Memphis. We had our friend noodles um, and Peyton's. They had a couple shower. Yes. Um, so we headed there at around five o'clock on Friday, right after work. Got there, spent the night, got up, um, set up the party, had a grand old time. Oh, yeah. We had great food. Great food. Taylor oh, yeah. put together this bomb ass charcuterie board. Um, I love shark board. Charcuterie board. I love a charcuterie board. Charcuterie. Love good charcuterie we board. We love a good coochie board. Yeah. And then we packed up the car and had to come back. We had basically our, for me, I have a lot of travel for you too. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have a lot of travel, a lot going on. We have, we're recording three episodes today. So we had to come back today and I kind of had to work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or yesterday sorry yeah, so we, we came, came back, back yesterday after. and guys our drive home we were like delusional you know how like you're like at the point of like a late night summer party and like you're like almost <laughs> to the point of like cracked out like you're yeah. not there fully and that's how we were the whole car ride i think the boys wanted to die they wanted, they wanted to, to kill us kill us <laughs> taylor we go to a shell gas station <laughs> first off taylor on road trips she's she's got to pee every five every seconds, five seconds I she's got to pee. pee she's got to pee she eats one talkie she goes oh i gotta pee talkies make me pee spicy foods make me to pee do they not make you pee they don't make me pee but i, I mean every time i have a talkie i can have like hot spicy um cheetos yeah and like you a talkie have to pee. i have to pee a hundred times i could go for a talkie right now me um too. Oh, we were so funny on the way there too we got a snack bag guys and we're like okay let's all get one of everything yeah so taylor's like i'll get the cheetos cheese puffs and mckenna's like i'll get hot fries and i'm like i'll get takis and then we're like okay let's get something sour sweet and chocolate so mckenna's like i'll get kit kats and taylor's like cool i'll get Sour, Sour Patch Kids. Kids. And I'm like, cool, I'll get high chews. So, like, we had a snack bag of, like, everything that you could possibly need. And we pounded that thing. Pounded the shit out of it. So, anyway, we're at the shell. We're on our way home. And Taylor goes, uh, <laughs> Taylor goes, wow, that grande iced honey bun looks so good. I said, the what? She goes, the grande iced honey bun. <laughs> I said, the grand iced honey bun? No. The grande iced honey bun. Like she was ordering at Starbucks. We're at the Shell gas station. Off hey, some can I get a grande iced honey bun? Please? Hi, welcome to Shell. How can I take your order today? Hi, I'll have a grande iced honey bun, please, with one pump of vanilla, um, extra ice, extra cinnamon, with skim milk, please. <laughs> that was the vibe. We were like, just like, we were dreaming, delusional, laughing. laughing the entire time. Everything was fucking hilarious to us. Oh, and the boys are convinced that they're buying motorcycles. <laughs> so we also pull up to the show okay and also the whole entire time this like, is we're, the entire drive. we have this whole vibe of like what kind of music we were playing like we were on ox yes. period well yes. logan wanted to like either Kill us. Imp- like kind of like impress us i think he was going yeah. for like he wanted to pick the songs. he like, wanted he- to pick the songs but i we had already lined it up in a great way to like transition to different genres yeah so we had done like country like, we, we could feel our own vibe yeah like there. we knew where we were all going so we're enough. getting off this exit and he he did that same thing well he picks um one time by justin bieber <laughs> me plus you i'm gonna tell you one time so we're fucking jamming to it we're it screaming. is on full volume we're screaming the it. boys are screaming <laughs> the boys are okay again the whole topic of a conversation was that they are getting bikes they're they gonna be are in a getting, bike gang they are getting motorcycles like they will be bikers like, they were talking about like what vests they're going to design like, like they have a name serious. of their gang like they're they are serious they're uh, this is all after top gun by the way yeah this, this is where they're going they're you, growing top stashes gun. like they, this is where we're at so we're blasting me plus you in this big ass ford f-150 we pull into the shell again this is off some random ass road in tennessee in the middle of tennessee in the middle of like middle tennessee yeah and we pull in the shell and there's like bikes the biker gang guys there's a biker gang and we're still jamming and i'm geeking out i'm like guys turn it down and he's like whoa why why would we turn it down it's a great song and we're like your biker guys are here you're gonna your bros you're hurting your fucking street cred right now your bros are here guys it was so embarrassing secondhand it was so bad and they were like 
Oh my god. <laughs> you could hear us cackling outside of the car. I was screaming laughing. I was like there's no way this is happening. Uh, they're just ridiculous. We were we were dying, guys. And y'all are probably like this is not funny. We were delusional. <laughs> it was so funny. Dad. It was hilarious. I guess we better get to the case because um it's definitely 12 minutes. Oh yeah. It is 12 minutes. Um but we do have a little announcement. Okay, um yeah. this is episode 90, correct? 90, um, yes. we are going to be wrapping up our LGBTQ cases. Mm-hmm. Um for Pride this month. episode for yes. Pride Month. And this is going to be the last one that we do for a few reasons. Number one, we've already kind of, I mean, first off, there's five or six like Thursdays in June. Yeah. And that can be a little bit of a lot to hear, especially for people that are within the LGBTQ plus community. And we did have a few people reach out to us and kind of express this, that it just wasn't a place that they felt like they could they, you know, they wanted to kind of be cele- they want to be celebrated this mm-hmm. month, and we completely understand, and we are sorry that we even kind of got you in that position, um, but we did want to cover these last two cases mainly because one of them is just kind of crazy, like not yeah. gory. Neither of them are gory, but mine is about a missing persons case that I really got super connected to while researching, and we wanted to make this the last episode where we are doing this, but either way, we're still celebrating Pride Month with you. We just wanted to make sure that this was like a fun, uplifting environment for you, and you didn't feel like you couldn't listen to us throughout June because, you know, maybe this was just a little too harsh and sensitive at the time. All right? Cool. But if you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. Okay, Morgan. Well, what do you have for us today? Today, I have a little true crime conspiracy for the people. Who is she? Who is Um, she? No, but really, um, today I'm going to be talking about the one, the only, Miss Dorian Corey. Oh my God. I love Dorian Corey. I know you do. Paris is Burning is what made me fall in love with Dorian Corey. I know, (laughs) I know, I know. Um, Dorian Corey has a legacy, you guys. For those that don't know her, that remains as one of the most important and influential to the drag communities in the LGBTQ. LGBTQ plus communities. But before we dive into Miss Story and Corey, um, I'm going to do a little bit of history on the art of drag. Mm. So the history of drag queens is actually dated all the way back to the theater god himself, Shakespeare. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That's interesting. Um, in the 17th century, women were not allowed to be actors in Shakespearean theater plays. <laughs> Therefore, Every female role was played by men. Right. The dresses that the men wore to these plays to play these female roles would drag along the floor, which birthed the word drag into our vocabulary. Wow. Since this time, the art of drag has drastically changed. Um, Modern day drag is practiced by people of all gender identities, and it brings an abundance of confidence and energy and sass and pizzazz. Love a good drag show. Yeah. Um, Drag also has taken influence on many different other industries as well, like makeup and fashion and performing arts. Um, Literally changing the face of makeup. Oh, for sure. You like your setting powder? Thank the drag queens. Yeah, for sure. Um, The biggest message that is preached by the drag community is that men can be feminine. And in fact, men should be in touch with their feminine Mm -hmm. side. And if they choose to do so, it doesn't make them any less of a man than a man who isn't LGBTQ plus or a man who doesn't do drag. 
Um, I saw this on a Boise Highlights article. Um, the article is called The Influence of Drag in the LGBTQ Community. And I could have put it in better words, so I'm going to quote them, actually. Okay, let's hear it. Um, it says, down to its core, drag is really all about being yourself and not caring about what other people think of you. It's about self-love and exploring the things that make you unique and letting them shine. The drag community is probably one of the most welcoming communities you could ever be a part of and witness. A lot of that is because it is a community filled with people who know what it's like to feel like an outcast and who also know that loving yourself is just as important as loving others. Okay, I, I love it. That's I, You're right. That is the best quote. Yeah, it's so, it's so cute. Um, and Dorian Corey was the queen of the drag community. Mm-hmm. Um, Dorian Corey was born in 1937 in Buffalo, New York to her father, Franklin Legg, and mother, Mary Fox Clark. Franklin and Mary had Dorian out of wedlock. Um, although her, they married when she was around 10 years old. Dorian was raised on a farm, and while growing up in Buffalo, she worked as a window dresser at a department store called Hengers. Hengers? Hengers. Sorry. Is that what it is? I don't know. Um, she made the move to the big city, New York, New York, when she decided to enroll and attend Parsons, the new school for design. While at Parsons, Dorian studied art and then graduated as fashion designer. Yes. Wow. Once in New York, Dorian transitioned fully and identified as a woman. In the 1960s, Dorian joined a cabaret drag act and toured as a snake dancer in the Pearl Box Review. Wow. From this, she was one of the four performers who appeared on the 1972 Pearl Box Review LP, Call Me Mister. Hmm. Um, And it was around this time that Dorian became fucking legendary literally dorian became the founder and created the house of Corey, who specialized in voguing so voguing was this highly like stylized modern house dance that originated in the late 1980s that evolved out of the harlem ballroom scene of the 1960s so mm-hmm. if you're thinking of like the madonna like face like framing <laughs> voguing, voguing you're you're wrong you're incorrect <laughs> madonna basically stole that shit straight up stole it but <laughs> taylor knows a lot or is i know a little bit about a little bit about the ballroom of scene, watching so i'm gonna let her touch on that so if you haven't watched paris is burning first off it is great insight into the B- Harlem ballroom scene, LGBTQ plus, like drag growth, and yeah. it, it's a great eye-opening way to see this, and it really talks about a lot of like racism, even within LGBTQ plus and beyond. And so these ballroom scenes, I, ca- I keep calling them ballroom scenes, but they're ball scenes. They're kind of like competitions, and they were centered around these houses. So she did talk about like the House of Corey. Yes. And again, I we are not professionals. We are not specialists. We are not like in, in, in at these ball scenes. Like um, this is just from what I we have both learned from research, watching Paris is Burning. And then also if you haven't watched Pose on FX, it's literally a show based off of Paris is Burning, Dorian Corey's and this like there's a lot of detail on this and it's a great show by the way great show so great show 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 show but basically the this ball scene was created as a way of with these houses and these houses were ways of bringing together like homeless or people who were kicked out of their homes that had no families like building families and places of refuge for these LGBTQ plus members that wanted to be a part of the drag scene and these house mothers like Corey Dorian Corey was were basically serving as very nurturing kind loving home like homey people majority were 
African-American. Yes, this was created. The the ballroom scene was created, or the ball scene was created mainly for LGBTQ plus black and Latino um, members to kind of have their own way within the culture and use pieces of their own culture to build this scene because even though this was LGBTQ+, there still was a lot of racism within the community itself. So these drag queens were kind of finding their own way to be who they wanted and create their own side of the culture. And it's absolutely, it's a lot more, there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more detail, but these competitions, these houses would go to and they would compete. And Dorian Corey's house literally. The house of Corey was the shit. Yes, House of Corey would straight up sweep on every voguing competition that there was, and do amazing. So that is why she's saying like specialize in voguing and so on and so forth. But again, that is kind of like what the scene is, and it really centers around Harlem. And we see like videos of it today a lot, and I'm sure you've seen it on your for you page. Even if you're really not familiar or within the LGBTQ plus community, you do see like you know there's like a little stage and the people get on in drag and they perform in like big it's all about your costume and what your performance is and what the competition is and you're in the middle and you get to see the voguing and the awesome like drops on the ground that are so crazy and everybody goes like literally insane yeah and or you get up there and you absolutely bomb and they just fucking stare at you like what are you doing get off the stage (laughs) but like (laughs) that is what it is like that is literally what the ball scene is can you imagine that though in the 80s no i literally couldn't i mean i bet it was amazing well from so i watched this one clip on uh, paris is burning and it's of the military competition Uh -uh. and it's all about how well you can truly like embody someone that is in the military so they would practice the military walk the way that you hold like the flags and the guns and the movement and the way that your arm was like it, I mean the calls everything it, I mean it is so intense it is it's amazing to watch oh my god it, they truly embody every piece of this competition and it is so sharp and it's so intense and, it's, and that is fucking hard it was fucking hard and they have these judges up there but these homes like we said they were created as like a, a safe space for these people that didn't have families didn't have jobs and these house mothers like Dorian Corey would come in and serve as someone who gets you a job or helps you like if you're in trouble we'll come get you and Dorian Corey was known for being nurturing amazing just like one making you feel so comfortable and loved but there was one thing everyone knew about Dorian Corey and that was not to fuck with her you did not fuck with Dorian Corey period period Thank you, Taylor. I just knew, she, guys, I just knew that she knew so, well, not, she was just very well. I just love, I've just, she I, loves, I just love the drag scene. Yeah. Yeah. I've been obsessed with it for a really And she couldn't, I, I couldn't have done it better than her. So and I so had to let her take it If you think right we there. didn't do a great job at it, I'm really sorry. Again, we're not professionals. But this is just from what we could understand from our yeah. end of watching it and talking with our friends that are within the drag scene and the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. So Dorian, guys, she was like the mama bear and the fucking queen of drag and her fashion, which was iconic within the ball scene. And she stayed just as fabulous all the way to the end. Um, Dorian contracted HIV and became very, very ill. On August 29, 1993, Dorian Corey died of AIDS at the Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center in Manhattan, New York. She was 56 years old. Mm. Dorian's remains were cremated and spread across the waters off City Island, New York. 
The last couple years of Dorian's life, her friend and fellow drag queen, Lewis Taylor, had been taking care of her. Before Dorian died, she instructed her best friend and caretaker, Lewis Taylor, to take whatever clothes and costumes that she wanted and to just sell the rest. And you guys, when we're talking about these clothes and costumes, like this shit was <laughs> iconic. We're literally not talking about my closet, like filled with Target shit. We're talking about like handmade, bedazzled, fashion designer couture shit. Couture. Couture shit. Okay. Like she had this one outfit. Taylor is going to be able to describe it better than oh, me. I love it. I can't, but it was iconic. used during a competition. Yeah, during one of the balls. Go ahead. Take it away. So, it, Guys, this this is like probably one of the most iconic things that Dorian Taylor Corey would wear it if did. she could. I, I would literally I would literally buy this. She would have gotten married in it. <laughs> so this this like she has this she was known for like these capes, like these awesome capes that she would wear. So she walks out onto the ball like floor, right? She's got this cape on. It's huge, right? It's heavy. It's gigantic. It's huge. Okay. Pulls the string on it. The fucking thing turns into a tent that covers the entire the floor. A fucking tent. The crowd, everybody. You won. Period. <laughs> Get, show's over. You fucking won. <laughs> you literally won. Are you kidding? I would have dropped to, the, to my knees. No, I would have bowed down. I would have died. I would have just straight up died. First off, I'm like, what the fuck just happened? But like, how did you even, how do you even have the like creativity to be like, this is what? i'm about to do yeah yeah and it's just gonna go perfect yeah and it's just gonna shock the shit out of everybody like no one's gonna know and she made all the handmade every single thing that she ever wore it was handmade how do you even like get this space to like craft a uh, outfit like that i literally i wouldn't even know what to do first off i don't even know how to like sew up a, a hole in my pants me neither i just rock a hole in my pants let alone a piece of fabric that's gonna cover the entire fucking floor and, and into to a wear, tent to wear that on your body you know how heavy that must have been no and it's like bedazzled feathered out like i would have been sweating <laughs> my ass off. straight up died and, and you're in full drag like sweating dead immediately dead. i looked like a fucking mess on my wedding day and i just had to walk down like a little thin <laughs> can you thing. imagine guys i'm literally if if taylor could go back on her wedding day ta i could see taylor walking down the aisle she gets okay logan's all emotional she's in this gorgeous white gown right it's rolls it's slim it's flattering it's skin tight you know it's just you know she gets to the end of the aisle logan's tearing up i'm up there holding her in the bouquet i'm crying too i did cry also you did and um she gets up there and she's just like got this big like smile on her it's face a big smile and she's i'm like oh she's up to something yeah and she just pulls some fucking corn and this giant thing fans over everybody, everybody into this tent. Could you imagine if I did that? You, you probably would. Would have. I would. Yeah. I could, if, if I knew how to do that, I probably would have fucking done you, that. Yeah. I'd have been on like Ellen. Maybe I will do it. Oh my God. You have to at your Maybe Greek we wedding. we'll craft that. We're not going to be able to fucking get that over to Grace Morgan. Oh, you're right. I'm getting married in Greece. Yeah. Okay. Go back to Dorian Gory. Um, okay. So anyway, yes. Lewis was instructed to go through all my, all the costumes, go mm -hmm. through all my clothes, um, take what you want and just sell the rest. And that is exactly what Lewis did. She sifted through Dorian's amazing closet and she made plans to sell the rest to this Halloween collection store who specifically wanted all of Dorian's extravagant costumes. Side note, the owners of this Halloween show store um, were two straight men. And they were obsessed with Dorian shit. They were obsessed. 
Um, Lewis invited the customers to Dorium's home, which was located on West 140th Street in Harlem. While sifting through Dorian's closet, Lois came across a trunk. The trunk was, or this trunk, was so heavy that even Lois couldn't even move it. Oh, my God. Um, thinking they were about to find, like, this most extraordinary costume of all. The like, cake. I'm sure the anticipation was building. <laughs> I bet they were like, what in um, God's name? <laughs> Lois and the two men opened the trunk to reveal this, like, lumpy plaid garment bag. Like a garment bag that would hold a... Like a huge ordeal of stuff. A huge costume. Sorry, that's my MacBook. (laughs) Dinging. Um, One of the men took a knife and cut open the bag. And instantly, a foul odor and dust took over the small closet. Lois immediately called 911. She's like, oh, hell no. Fuck I'm not no. getting in the middle of this. You know exactly what that smell was. Yes. And when police arrived, they also knew exactly what that smell was. And they began to cut through layers and layers of wrapping, including a layer of something called nagahide. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is a type of like faux leather. Oh, wow. Um, in that garment bag, you guys was a partially mummified human body. It was a male. He was in the fetal position wearing blue and white boxer shorts. And there was a single bullet wound to the head. The man's formerly brown complexion was now purple and yellow. His body had been sprinkled or covered with baking soda. And also between the layers that he was wrapped in were vintage beer can lids. The police had suspected that his body had been there anywhere from seven months to 20 years. Holy shit. They described it as being partially mummified, but also partially decomposed. Because it was wrapped in so many layers, especially the leather, which they had assumed was why that foul odor never escaped the trunk, mm-hmm. the body was never exposed to air, resulting in it being partially mummified. But because it wasn't tightly wrapped like a mummy would be, and the body was losing so much liquid, the body was also floating no. in a pool of its own liquid. Oh my god. And the cops were pointing fingers straight at Lois Taylor. Immediately no. Immediately telling her that basically, you know, <clears throat> we find your fingerprints on this, <laughs> you're going to be charged for murder. You're going to jail. <laughs> yeah, yep. Y- and Lois you're, Taylor, you're, you're going, going to, to jail. jail. <laughs> straight to jail for Lois Taylor. <laughs> straight to jail. And Lois Taylor, according to a 1994 interview that she did with the New York Magazine, she says, quote, I'll tell you one motherfucking thing. You might see my hands on top of the damn thing, but I only weigh 135 pounds and I couldn't even move that thing, even if I wanted to. I'll tell you one motherfucking thing. I'll tell you one motherfucking thing. It ain't me. And first off, I'm 130 pounds. I couldn't even turn that thing over. We had to cut it open with a fucking knife. I had to make the two men. Yeah. Now you can't even lift it up either. They chopped it with a knife. They had to chop with a knife and they still couldn't even cut it. Like, why even turn that? Like, we're we're obviously going through someone who passed away's shit. 
We found this in the back of a closet. It is a mummified body, and they're like, we found your fingerprints. You think I'm going to plant this on my best friend when they die? You're going to jail. And you're going to jail. What a dickhead cause. (laughs) Dickheads. Um, Identifying this male was not an easy task. His skin had thinned so much. But they were able to pull fingerprints by using this, like, special, like, concoction solution that they had um, that made this, like, that made his skin harden. Okay. Um, And it worked. They identified the mummy in Dorian Corey's closet as a man named Robert Worley, who was a man that was last seen in 1968. A man who had been missing for about 25 years. Oh, my God. Robert Bobby, also known as Bobby. Um, Worley, who was also known as Robert Wells, was born December 18th, 1938. The only existing records from Worley's life were criminal. Hey. He'd been arrested for, um, trigger warning, raping and assaulting a woman in 1963 and served three years in prison. Um, and Robert Worley, according to anybody that knew him, he was just like a pretty like awful human being. Yeah. Like, he was I've just like a too. piece of shit. Yeah. Um, he physically and just mentally abused and hurt anybody that was close to him yeah. or in his life in general. Um, but the question remained, and it was the question that was on anybody's mind that knew this case. How did this mummified body end up in the back of the Queen of Drag's closet? <laughs> right. Was Dorian Corey seriously capable of committing murder? And why was the body not disposed of? Why Those would it be in the, the closet? Like, wouldn't you think like about that? Like, I'm about to die. Morgan, if I'm about to die and I have a body in my closet, I'm like, listen, bitch. <laughs> you got to do something about it. I've got a body in the closet. And it's been here for a hot sec. And I didn't want to tell anybody, but I'm going to die. And I can't leave this for you to sift through right we need to go we need, we need to get rid of it we need to do something about it like tonight right i mean it's pretty and much decomposed it's like been in you, there for you weigh 135 pounds i know you're not gonna be able to carry it yeah and like i'm not doing well because i'm sick so i'm not gonna be able to do anything with it we, like we have to call and reinforce it and we have to get rid of this thing yeah we gotta do something about it yeah we gotta go right now right now so there are a lot of theories about how this mummified body got in the back of dorian Corey's closet but most of the people that were close with Dorian, they just don't think that she's capable of murder. Mm-hmm. No one that socialized with Dorian or lived with Dorian ever recalled her mentioning Robert, let alone confessing to killing him. Mm. And a lot of like cues like dictated that Dorian really had no reason to engage in such a violent crime. But there are some theories here. So, Taylor, we're going to run through them. Okay. Um, the first theory that we have is just a robbery gone wrong. Um, Some of Dorian's fellow drag queens speculated that Robert was a burglar who had broken into Dorian's home, and this prompted her to act in self-defense. Yeah. After all, Dorian lived in Harlem, where violent crimes were very, very common Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, Plus, there were rumors that Dorian had allegedly attached a note to the body, reading, quote, this poor man broke into my home and was trying to rob me. But police never confirmed or denied that they found a note with the body. And I'm not a fan of this theory because all of you know that we have been burning it from both ends lately. And at the end of what feels like an endless day at work, home, school or an event, the last thing I want to do is cook dinner. 
But when your fridge is empty, that urge to order in and skip the cooking happens all too often. Thanks to Daily Harvest, a sponsor of Creeps and Crimes, I don't have that takeout temptation anymore. Daily Harvest helps me keep my freezer fully stocked with options that are delivered right to my door and are delicious, nourishing, and ready in minutes. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, soups, flatbreads, snacks, smoothies, lattes, and more built on organic fruits and vegetables. Daily Harvest has delicious options for any time of day breakfast lunch dinner snacks and even dessert everything is always on hand in your freezer and ready to enjoy when you need it lately i have been loving their flatbreads at the end of the day i come home kick my shoes off and heat up my favorite tomato and basil flatbread that is if aaron doesn't get to it before me (laughs) right with daily harvest i never have to question if the food i'm eating is good for me they create food that is both good for my health and the health of the planet love that by supporting farmers who invest in practices that increase biodiversity and improve the health of our soil while delivering foods in recyclable and composting packaging daily harvest does all the work so you don't have to do it all you have to do is eat New on the scene is their delicious harvest bakes for those moments when you're looking for homemade fuels without any of the work. They are ready to bake veg pack dishes sizzling with gourmet level flavors that are big enough to share. You just won't want to. Avoid the takeout temptation and get Daily Harvest. Go to dailyharvest.com slash creepsandcrimes to get up to $40 off of your first box. That's D-A-I-L-Y-H-A-R-V-E-S-T dot com slash creepsandcrimes for up to $40 off your first box. Dailyharvest.com slash creepsandcrimes. I just don't... I think if there was a robbery and I acted in self-defense, I wouldn't go to the extra extent of like... Hiding the body. Yeah, in such a manner of a way of like. Well, yeah, I, I see where you're going like with that, like in a way of like really hiding it. Yeah. And then plus wasn't the so there was a gunshot wound, wasn't it in the back of the head? Yes. OK, so if someone's robbing me, I'm not shooting them from the back of the head. Yeah. I will shoot them from the front of the head um, <laughs> or I would call the police. But see, that's where I'm going with this is we're over here thinking like, OK, well, if someone breaks in. And I'm using self-defense to kill them. Well, first off, she was a black woman, a black trans woman. Yeah. That was big into the drag scene. Like, what what is the good of calling the cops? Like, you might as well just go to the grave and let someone enough, find that yeah. body. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, the next theory is the theory of the ex-lover. Um, most people believe that Robert had potentially been an abusive ex-lover of Dorian and that she may have shot him in self-defense during a fight. Um, abuse against transgender people by their partners was, and still is, a common occurrence in the trans community. And a great example of this is the murder of a transgender woman who was very prominent in the, um, drag community named venus extravaganza mm-hmm. which um, we also see on paris is burning yeah according to lois taylor dorian had once written a short third person story about a transgender woman who killed her lover in revenge after he pressured her into having sex reassignment surgery handwritten Ooh. on a piece of paper yellowed with age the story seemed at least loosely autobiographical sorry dorian had had breast implants and had possibly taken female hormones and the story was like peppered with references to her own life, including the Pearl Box Review, a touring drag show that she'd performed with in the 60s that I mm, mentioned. Yeah. So she wrote this story. And even though it was this fictional story, it was very much similar to her own life. And it was, you know, about this 
transgender woman who killed her lover so right. what if this was her story of her so it was own be- robber because the the partner was pressuring the woman to have sex reassignment surgery yeah in her story and then they didn't want to yeah okay well damn yeah isn't that interesting that is very interesting um, and according to the police review or interview, Robert Worley's brother, um, a man named Fred, claimed that he remembered on occasion that Robert was drunk and rambled on about someone named Dorian. Mm. So there was some sort of corroboration that Robert was in a relationship with Dorian. And if that is true, it could mean that Dorian, Dorian killed, killed Robert yeah. Worley. Which would, I mean, if they were together and it was very private because maybe on both terms you know whatever mm-hmm. and then he becomes abusive because of many probably many reasons because we already know what his past and record looks like yeah he becomes extremely abusive and Cor- dorian dorian Corey's like ah, fuck that and gets right, which may, would make sense why he's in his boxers yeah sleeping yeah because who's breaking in the house in and boxers, boxers. <laughs> in boxers yeah yeah nobody um and then another theory is that this body was already there um this theory speculates that the body was already in the closet when dorian moved from her apartment which was at 150th street and st nicholas avenue to the one located 10 blocks away where the body was found and where she was living when she died at west 140th street in 1988 Mm. which is an interesting theory and then the last theory i have is that it was she was assisting in like this murder cover-up um and this theory speculates that dorian was hiding um, robert worley's body either for a friend or for somebody in the house of Corey. she was protecting um somebody that was in her house okay um and covering up a murder i just okay i could see that being a possibility but at the same time you don't fuck with dorian Corey, and yeah. i don't think dorian Corey would fuck with that i think dorian Corey would be like okay here are some resources for you i'm not putting it in my own fucking house right but you know right we can do this um and then also like in, in saying like okay well maybe it came it was the person that lived before them well okay was it someone that she knew that lived there before that's a big question yeah and then also it's like well she's known to be this massive fashion guru designer mm-hmm. i'm positive if there's a trunk in the apartment that she's moving into she's saying will you move this fucking trunk out because i need I room space. in my closet so, or she sees a trunk and she's like, what's in there? Out of curiosity, has got to open it up. Yeah. And you know? And maybe is like, I have to fucking cover this up. But then why not? Well, then I was going to say, well, why not call the police? But that's my own ignorance saying, you know, it just wasn't a safe space for her to call the police. Right. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know why there was a mummified body in Dorian Corey's closet. I would love to know. I would love to know. It's one of the greatest American mysteries, I must say. It really is. It really is. I mean, it's just such a it's just such a bizarre case. Yes. Because it's okay, so it, let's think is the is the letter there? The letter. Like the letter that police said that wasn't in there. Yeah. I mean, that would be a good cover-up, but in terms of like logistics you're not shooting something someone's coming around your house isn't coming in boxers unless maybe they had like a really nice leather fit that you needed that she needed that you needed to use in your design right then yeah i would strip it (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) but like also it's from a shot from behind 
Yeah. If someone's breaking if into someone's the home, they're not turning their back to you. Self-defense, you're like fighting. Like you don't get yeah. a shot from behind. You don't, get, you don't get to get shot from behind. So I, I kind of like the theory that this was like, I don't love the theory, but an abusive partner that she had just had enough of mm-hmm. and was honestly like, I'm doing something better for the community by just doing this and getting rid of it. Yeah. What but, if all the theories are wrong and it's something we just totally haven't gotten? Well, I did. I did read on this one Reddit f- thread mm-hmm. like a long long time ago the first yeah, time i ever us. heard of this case okay i think the first time i ever heard of this was when um morbid covered this case and of course i had to go watch paris is burning and all the things okay and i found this little reddit thread discussing it and they were talking about a possible deathbed confession uh-uh. yeah and that it's like something that no one ever talks about and that's why lois wanted people to be there with her when she discovered it. Yeah. Which would make sense. I have two straight men here. Right. What This is my perfect time to have like witnesses that couldn't be written off by police. Yeah. So you think she knew. Lois Taylor. Maybe knew. she knew. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That is such a good case. Yeah. It's fun. It's a wild case. Queen. Queen. All right. Thanks so much, Morgan. Okay, so the case I have for you guys today is not as um, murder mystery as Morgan's, but uh, it is something that's really important and something that we want to talk about, especially with wrapping up our LGBTQ plus Pride Month uh, injustice section. And this is um, a case that, like I already said, kind of really grabbed my heart in, from the first time I heard it and researched it. So I'm going to give you guys the full spectrum of it. And I do want to let you know that this is not gory. This is a missing person. Um, so I do, when you're listening, please listen for details, especially if you're from this area. Okay. Okay. According to an article written by the Time Magazine's Madeline Carlyle, or Madeline Carlyle, in 2021, at least 130 bills were introduced into state legislatures that targeted trans people. I'm talking restrooms, sports, medical care, literally everything about their human rights. And a record-breaking 25 anti-LGBTQ plus bills were ultimately enacted into law, which 13 of the 25 were anti-trans laws in eight different states. 2021 was the deadliest year for transgender and gender nonconforming individuals in the United States on record. The R the HRC or the Human Rights Campaign began recording these incidents in 2013 and at least 50 of the 256 fatal attacks recorded since 2013 happened in 2021 last year y'all. Wow. Literally last year. Of the recorded incidents since 2013, three quarters of the victims were 35 years old or younger. 85% were trans women. 84% were people of color. Yet 66% were black trans women. And these numbers do not even count the number of missing or disappeared trans people in the United States. Before the records were kept in 2012, a beautiful 19-year-old black trans woman went missing in Charlottesville, Virginia. And this is the case of Sage Smith. So before we get started, it 
wasn't until later in life that Sage announced publicly that she identified as a woman using she, her pronouns. But because her name was never legally changed before her death, you will see listed in articles that they call her by Deshaud. And listen, typically I would never dead name an individual. However, it is extremely important for this story case and your own research, which I highly encourage you to do, that you know the majority of these articles are titled Deshaud Sage Smith. Sage's family says that she was a little bit more gender fluid and they were able to, which not they were able, she didn't mind them calling her by Deshaud and using he, him pronouns at times. However, I'm going to be referring to Sage as Sage for this entire episode because I don't feel comfortable using her dead name. Sage Smith was born on December 13, 1992 in Charlottesville, Virginia to Latasha Dennis and Dean Smith. Soon after her birth, Latasha and Dean separated and remarried with new partners, having kids of their own and many new step-siblings on both sides. Sage struggled with this change in family dynamics, even though she was extremely young at the time, and it was pretty rough for everyone. When Sage was in elementary school, her father, Dean, was sent to jail on drug charges. At this point, Sage's home life was extremely unstable, and she went to have to live with her paternal grandmother, who was called Miss Cookie, in Garrett Square, Square which is known for being a low-income, high-crime area. Okay, but I love Cookie. I know, Miss Cookie. Are you kidding? I love Cookie. How stinking cute is that? Eventually, Sage was sent back to live with her mother, but not long after she was sent back to live with her mother, she was placed into foster care um, because her mother was deemed unfit to raise her. In middle school, which was the early 2000s, Sage came out to her family and friends as being gay, which is something that she knew about herself for a very long time. Her grandmother, Miss Cookie, was extremely loving and supportive and very happy for Sage as long as she was embracing her true self. Unfortunately, other family members did not feel the same, and Dean, her father, was extremely upset. And the kids at school began bullying Sage. Her own football teammates turned on her and took turns pissing on her football jersey before a fucking game. Are you fucking kidding Atrocious. me? Atrocious. That's disgusting. That was disgusting. That was it. Dean realized at the end of the day, Sage was his child, his first baby, and no matter what, he loved Sage, and he was her protector and father. Dean began embracing Sage for who she truly was, accepting her, and apologizing for all of the awful shit that he had said and done. And the two started their relationship over and became closer than ever. Celebrating Dean as he had been released from jail and started his life over with new goals, new purpose, and new surroundings. Good for him for alerting to accept right right in 2011 sage smith graduated high school the first ever in her family that's incredible and this was an amazing moment for her she was celebrated and just ready to take on the next next steps of her life and career at this point sage had been exploring with gender gender fluidity and fashion she had never felt more comfortable in her skin her clothes and her body She went on to cosmetology school, working as an assistant at a salon in town to make some extra cash and even starting her own at home braids business to sharpen her skills while making some extra extra cash. Yes. Right. We love a grinder. But Sage needed her own space. So 
With the help of the foster system, Sage was placed into an apartment with two other roommates in March of 2012. Her two roommates were also black trans women named Shakira and Aubrey. The three became extremely close. I'm talking best friends, inseparable, me, you, and Noodle, like besties. And Sage loved her independence, freedom, and new friendships. The three would go out often. Sage loved dancing. She was extremely outgoing and fun. The three just clicked. Sage was now also identifying fully as a woman using she, her pronouns. And those who were around her constantly understood and supported this with her. But according to Kendall Ray and her reporting on this case on her YouTube channel, because of the laws at the time allowing businesses to literally discriminate against their employees or people that they were potentially hiring, it was extremely hard for Shakira, Sage, and Aubrey to make money, leaving them working multiple minimum wage jobs just to barely make their rent, yet they were still falling behind. What year was this again? And this is in 2013, between 2013, 2011 and 2013. That's so fucking sad. I mean, it, it's just like awful to think about. And th- so they're working like all these jobs just trying to make their rent and they still can't even make their rent. Yeah. So they were like, let's get creative. And they started throwing parties at their apartment or going and throwing parties for people at like other locations. And they would charge a cover to like enter every single weekend. Hustlers. Hustlers. Love the vibes. And according to an article written by Emma Eisenberg um, with Splinter News, which by the way, literally so much of my notes comes from Emma. She has done amazing reporting on this case and I do give her credit throughout, but I did want to make a side note, like very, very, very thorough um, investigation reporting skills on this. Um, These parties were catered to men who were not out yet. So sometimes they would use these for like hookups or for fun, but mainly for cash and other they did this like with other friends. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these men were actually married and had very successful careers and came from different walks of life. Shakira and Sage really watched out for each other during these meetups, sitting outside in the cars to make sure like the other is safe, constantly texting back and forth while the other one's in the house, just being very protective and aware of the potential danger that they really were putting themselves into. And that's just who Sage was at her core. She was extremely protective, nurturing, and just was absolutely not to be fucked with ever. Occasionally, Sage would place a casual encounters ad on Craigslist, according to that same article written by Emma. During one of these encounters, the wife of the man that Sage was seeing at the home came in and caught them. Oh. And the man turned on Sage and, like, attacked her. Oh, shit. Sage filed a police report, and the man was arrested and charged. Good. Thankfully. I mean, that, I was not expecting it to go that good. You know what no, I mean? No, me neither. But that was this danger that Sage, Shakira, and Aubrey were in with these parties and meetups, just trying to make cash because people were literally discriminating against them. On November 9th, 2012, Sage publicly posted on Facebook, quote, I am a girl, hashtag respect it. Word. End quote. Though everyone already knew this that about Sage, that she identified as a woman, it was extremely important for her that she made a public post about it. 
And on Monday, November 19th, that same year, so this is literally 10 days later, it was Shakira's, not 13th, dear God, 19th birthday party. So, of course, the three were like, fuck yeah, we're throwing a banger for this. And we're covering a $20 cover to get in. Yeah, and the cover is now um, (laughs) $40. Yeah. So, it was huge and fun and big. And everyone was just enjoying themselves and celebrating Shakira. When a woman came into the party, she like paid and like came into the party and she's like getting angry and insane with one of Sage's friends for apparently sleeping with the man the woman was seeing at the time. And somehow I don't really know how this happened. Maybe it was mistaken identity, but the woman begins like targeting Sage in the middle of this. The entire party ends up getting in this massive like group fight that migrated outside and into the street. There were people pulling up in their cars, jumping out of their cars, running into the fight circle and like it was just completely out of control. Like people were being called in as backup and it was like a hundred people in this fight. Holy shit. I mean, it was insane. And during this, a man named Jamel Smith began fighting Sage. So the police had been called at this point and they broke up the fight at 1120 PM. But Jamal ended up, ended up, um, I'm sorry, Jamel ended up filing a formal report, like police report against Sage saying that she had damaged his car, but no one was arrested or like charged with this. No one understood what the hell had just happened. It was literally blindsiding out of nowhere and ended up targeting Sage for no reason. Like, she wasn't even involved in this. And Sage felt like Shakira did not back her up enough in the middle of this. And she was extremely upset with Shakira. She was like, I... Hell yeah. Like, you didn't even come in and back me up and, like, help me. Like, I was getting straight up attacked and I felt like you weren't there for me. Yeah. So the two began screaming back and forth at each other. And Shakira calls her friends from Norfolk, Virginia to come pick her up and take her home. So as she's waiting on her friends to come pick her up, which is her hometown, they're like screaming, fighting at each other. It's never like a physical, but very much a verbal altercation. And they're saying like some mean shit to each other, like really like letting it all out. And during this, um, the last part of the argument, they both said like, I hate you. And Shakira left. The next morning on November 20th, Sage slept in, and once she woke up, I mean, of course she probably slept in, like, holy shit, that was the craziest I day ever. I wouldn't have gotten up until 8 o'clock the next Oh, yeah. Night. No, I would have been up at midnight the next day. Um, but once she woke up, Sage called her father, Dean, to congratulate him on the anniversary of being out of jail and changing his life. The two talked for a little bit before Sage asked if she could borrow some extra cash in order to get her hair braided. After getting off the phone, Sage got ready, and this is because she had a date that evening with an unknown person. At approximately 5.40 p.m., Sage told Aubrey that she was leaving to go to her date and left the home. Aubrey dozed off not long after on the couch and ended up waking up at 8 p.m., only to realize that Sage had not returned home. Aubrey called Sage, but the call went straight to voicemail. This was unlike Sage at all. She was always carrying a charger on her. She would plug her phone in anywhere. It was always like on loud right beside her and she was extremely quick to respond and answer. Aubrey tried to remain calm assuming like maybe Sage like would call back at any second. Maybe like her phone died for just a second. She's trying to get it plugged in. So Aubrey waited and waited before falling back asleep again and she wakes up the next morning. Now it's 9 a.m. on November 24th and Aubrey calls Shakira to see if she had heard anything from Sage, but she hadn't. So Shakira tells Aubrey to call Miss Cookie, Sage's grandmother. So Aubrey did. 
Miss Cookie immediately dialed 911 reporting Sage missing because the next day was Thanksgiving. Sage would never miss a holiday or go MIA right before. The police were way too calm for Sage's family, so they started their own investigation to prove to them that Sage was in danger and that this was an extremely serious matter. Sage's family began guessing Sage's account passwords for social media, emails, and even her phone account in order to see who Sage was last like speaking with and who she had met up with that night because no one knew who this mystery man was. Yeah. So they finally get into her phone account and they're able to access her text messages when they see that the last few texts are from an unknown number. And this is what they said. At 5.17 p.m., Sage says, when are you leaving? At 5.20 p.m., an unknown number responds and says, I already left. I'm at the Hampton Inn. At 5.40 p.m., we know that Sage left her apartment when talking to Aubrey. At 6.08 p.m., the unknown number says, where are you at? At 6.12 p.m., Sage says, I'm standing here. Where are you? At 6.18 p.m., Sage gets a call from one of her friends in Northern Virginia, and the two talked between 6.18 and 6.27. During this phone call, this unknown number texts Sage multiple times saying, Hey, I'm here. Where are you? Where are you? I'm waiting for you. I'm giving you five more minutes. And at 6.27 p.m., the unknown number says, Bye, you stood me up. So still on the phone with her friend, Sage runs into her sister, Kiera, while walking down 4th Street towards the Amtrak station at approximately 6.35 p.m. So Sage gets off the phone call and she's talking to Kiera and she tells Kiera that she's going to meet a guy and walks off, which was the last known sighting of her, and she was walking towards the Amtrak station. Texting the unknown number again at 3.37 saying, sorry, I was on the phone call with a friend. Uh, See you soon. After reading through these text messages, the family realized that this was a man that Sage had been seen and speaking with for several weeks at this point, and the two had met up on several different occasions to have sex with each other. Dean, Sage's dad, did not recognize this unknown number, and no one in the family had it saved in their phone. So he took to Facebook, asking for anyone who knows this number to let him know. Not long after this, um, he gets a message from one of Sage's friend, who was another trans woman in the community. The woman explains that this number belongs to a man named Eric McFadden. She explained that Eric and Sage had been seeing each other secretly because Eric was not open with his sexuality just yet and had been paying Sage to keep their relationship a secret. Family and friends began sharing photos of Eric on social media, trying to track him down and reported this to the police. By Thanksgiving Day, which was November 22nd, Thursday, November 22nd, an investigation ensued with the Charlottesville Police Department. On Saturday, November 24th, a search was conducted of Sage's neighborhood, and that evening, another person was reported missing in Charlottesville. A woman named Esther was reporting her boyfriend, Eric McFadden, missing. Uh Uh-uh. Eric had been staying in Esther's apartment and house-sitting while she was out of town visiting her family for Thanksgiving. When she returned, there was no sign of Eric, and he was not responding to any calls or text messages. Police told Esther about Sage Smith's disappearance and how Eric was the last known individual to be in contact with Sage, asking if she would be able to come up to the station just for some questioning on Monday the 26th. Esther came to the station for the interview and was able to give police more detail than they were ever expecting because apparently on the night before November 25th Sunday Eric called Esther 
telling her that he was in Washington, D.C. and needed her to send him money. What? She told Eric that, like, yo, the police are looking for you. And here's the lead detective's information. Like, you need to call this person. After this, Esther allowed police to come into her apartment just to prove that he was not there and search around. There was no sign of Eric. However, they were able to collect his laptop, clothes, and belongings from the home to log his evidence. But they did not have a warrant to search these because they don't have the grounds to get a warrant to. In this, they discovered the Charlottesville a Charlottesville CPS receipt for November 22nd, two days after Sage went missing. Meaning... He did not immediately flee town after, but when his employers were contacted, they confirmed that Eric was a no-call, no-show since the 21st. On Tuesday, November 27th, detectives received a phone call from Eric McFadden. No way. He explained that he was scheduled to meet Sage at the Amtrak station on November 20th. However, Sage never showed up, so he left, which aligns with Sage's messages. But then he goes on to explain that he was now living in New York. Oh. And detectives are like, okay, well, why? Are you running away? And he's like, no, I've just never been to New York before. So Okay, Eric. (laughs) Okay. Um, So detectives are like, okay, let's make a deal. How about you return to Charlottesville via bus and we'll pick you up and take you from the bus station to questioning and then you're free to go. Eric's like, you know what? That's cool with me. They hang up and they confirm the day and go on. Well, the next day, November 28th, a full search was conducted around the streets of the wooded and wooded areas where Sage was last seen supposed to be meeting Eric and well into the area where Eric McFadden was living at the time, which was just like a few streets down. On November 29th, Esther, Eric's GF, called police and said that Eric would be coming into town the next day, like, confirming, like, he's going to be coming in on the 30th, and this is the location, this is a bus stop, here's the time to pick him up. They're like, okay, thank you, whatever. Well, November 30th, the day that he's supposed to be coming, that he comes around. Police had spent that entire day with this uh, trash expert at a landfill in Henrico County, which is, like, 40 minutes away from Charlottesville, to pick up Eric. And they get a call from Esther as they're driving back, letting them know that Eric had emailed her and said that he was not coming. He was now on the run. What? So according to Emma with Splinter News, he had emailed Esther moments before saying, quote, I'm headed out. This is what happened. I never did anything sexual with that guy. Rude. And he was blackmailing me. He wanted me to give him money not to lie from saying that we did and I did and he agreed to stop and then the next time he hit me up for money I said no we did meet up but he had a lot of enemies um and me and him were just walking when someone showed up and I kept walking and I didn't look back so basically saying that him. sage had sage had enemies and like people came up to her when they were walking and instead of like engaging with the enemies that allegedly came up, he just turned a blind eye and walked off and left Sage. Okay. And okay, so, but then like why are you on the run? Okay, Eric, yeah. What are you running from? 
Um, so he goes on to apologize to Esther, like saying that he's sorry for messing up their relationship and he's moving to the Midwest. So police classified Eric as now a person of interest in the disappearance of Sage Smith, contacting the FBI along with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, obtaining search warrants for Eric's computer, email accounts, cell phone, all apps on the cell phone and bank records. In December of 2012, police performed two more searches with cadaver dogs this time, along with the Virginia Department of Emergency Management and search and rescue dive teams in the area that Sage was last seen near Eric's apartment, which was like a railroad track that was by a sediment pond. And at this pond, dogs had made slight indications of picking up Sage's scent. So they did a dive and search of this pond, but nothing was ever found that was connected to Sage or her disappearance. In early 2013, a friend came forward stating that they had actually seen Sage Smith at 7 p.m. on November 20th eating at the Wild Wings Cafe, which was right beside the Amtrak station. And after talking for a few minutes, Sage said that she was waiting on a date and the friend left. Even still, with all of the searches, efforts, and community involvement, this case was going nowhere. And how wild is it as we just now have someone coming forward literally months later? Yeah. Well, let me tell you why. It's because the media refused to report on this case. Oh, I don't doubt that. Even with the investigation being opened and pursued by police, nothing. Word was not getting out the way it needed to because the media just did not deem Sage worthy. And it's fucking sickening. Yep. Yet, when Hannah Graham, who I covered in episode 46, a white British student from the University of Virginia that went missing. You remember we talked about all of the like CCTV footage outside of the bars. If you haven't listened to that case, go listen to that case. In February of 2014, the media literally took over and stormed this case search helicopters police were like literally lining the streets searching for this girl like speaking for to the family with the family working really closely with them and it was the all that we could talk about like in fact it only took three days to locate jesse her killer who had fled to texas and only 36 days to locate hannah's remains yeah, because Hannah wasn't a black trans woman. Yeah, that's exactly why. It's so fucking but sick. But what's more infuriating about it is like literally even police were like slightly on board with us. So why wouldn't the media want to take it? Right. Like it, it just it makes no like make it make sense. And in 2015, Eric McFadden was cleared by police. I'm sorry. What? Publicly. Despite having no contact with him or ever interviewing him ever. publicly oh so the media will pick that up oh yeah right in january of 2016 there was a reported sighting of sage in uh somewhere in virginia i can't really pronounce it looks like Sh- uh shakti i don't i don't know um it, it's 300 miles away from charlottesville and police responded to this to like ensue this lead and um it wasn't sage it was her former roommate shakira what so police spoke with Shakira because obviously they hadn't in like years at this point because it's 2016 it's January 2016 so they're speaking with Shakira and she informs them that she was extremely and has always been extremely suspicious of Aubrey their other roommate for a few reasons all these curveballs right now I know right not long after Sage went missing, literally days after, Aubrey was using Sage's food stamps and credit cards to go shopping and even wearing Sage's wigs, clothes, and jewelry. 
Well, that's fucking weird. Aubrey, like, explained this away, basically saying, like, this is what we did. We shared everything. You shared credit cards? But Shakira was like, I found that bizarre, and I shared everything with you guys. And it also came out later that Aubrey and Eric knew each other. <gasps> like, oh, she would go no. with Sage to hang out with Eric on multiple occasions, and they had mutuals. But still, mm. that doesn't make you guilty. It just makes you sus. Yeah. So to be sure, Aubrey's phone records were checked by police and it showed that she was at the home um, when Sage disappeared. But that tower that covered the apartment also covered the Amtrak station by the apartment. So you can't be sure. So it would have been the same. Yeah, like you can't really yeah. tell. Like I, I know you can tell because it's like, is it pulling off of two different towers? Like the east versus west, north. Like I've, yeah. I've read a lot about it. But like basically they were like, we can say that you're home. But like we also can't say that you weren't home. Right. Well, in March of 2017, Sage Smith's case was reclassified finally as a homicide investigation, and Eric McFadden was de- deemed a person of interest. However, I'm sorry, no, 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 a-, a witness, a crucial witness. However, no one had seen or heard from Eric since he emailed Esther, including his close family and friends. In June of 2019, Eric McFadden was officially reported missing for the second time, this time by his mother. And to many, he is presumed dead. Oh, my God. The most recent update I have on this entire case is from November of 2021, where police reclassified Eric as a, quote, critical person of interest. So now he's no longer a witness. Now he is a person of interest, which is a step up, I guess, in Sage's case. There is currently a $10,000 reward for any information. If you know anything about this case, the location, or the disappearance of Sage Smith, or even the whereabouts of Eric McFadden, please contact Crime Stoppers at 434-977-4000 or the Charlottesville Police Department at 434-970-3280. And that is the case of Sage Smith. I think there's something more to this no yeah way more way more like i well first off eric mcfadden had something to do with this oh eric mcfadden guilty yeah he fled fled straight up ran away fled and then it's like yeah yeah i'll come back pick me up the bus station see you guys not guilty see y'all in a few and then dips actually let me send an email so i wonder if he's alive i wonder if he's alive or I'm not going to say it, but I don't know. I don't know. I think there's something way more to this. And I just hate it for Sa- like Sage. Yeah. She literally was finally like at this peace and like peace in her life and like ready to like really grow. And she she was forced to put herself in danger because of the laws in place at the time. Yeah. But like it's Absolutely. still obviously an issue today or we wouldn't even be. And- for Aubrey to be like, no, we always shared stuff no. like that. Girl, you don't share credit cards. I don't understand that logic. If someone was sharing, I mean, Taylor, you want to share credit cards? I'd no. love to. We literally own a business together. <laughs> we don't share we credit don't cards. We don't share credit cards for good reason. <laughs> we but like, holy shit, cards. you don't share credit cards. What the fuck is that? I don't know. I like, don't she's know. suspicious too. That's really sus. And they knew each other. Oh, and they actually, Aubrey and um, Sage, Shakira was like a new friend to Sage, but I read that Aubrey and Sage actually like grew up knowing each other, like had been like childhood friends. 
Interesting. So that makes that even more weird because let me tell you something. If me and you were not childhood friends, but basically kind of, if you go missing, I'm not wearing your clothes. Who was the friend that told the dad, told Dean about the number, that it was Eric's number? It was another it woman wasn't named, Aubrey. no, it was a woman named Yammy. Okay. Yes. And the person that came forward about the Wild Wings Cafe incident was a woman named Monica. Okay. So they're like not in they're they're not people that were like, you know, best, best friends. But I do know I do know that if I'm not mistaken, I think Monica was like one of the people that would frequent these parties and like hookups with them. Mm -hmm. So I find that weird because she obviously would have known. But at the same time, it's like maybe I don't want to implement myself into this. So Eric was never seen again after that. No, he straight up after he talked on the phone to go to New York and sent the email saying, like, I'm not coming. I'm running. Never like in person. Never seen. Never seen. Last time he was seen would have had to been by Sage. And that's also the last person that saw her. That's so interesting. Yeah. Very what interesting. An awful missing persons case. No, it's awful. And it's just so like ass backwards. Like it just like nothing makes sense. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, well, I don't know. I don't know how to even explain it. And what what's even more weird about Aub- Aubrey, I keep wanting to say Audrey. I probably said it a few times. That's my um cousin's baby's name. And so every time I see like because I called her Aubrey for so long I like had to correct Aubrey to Audrey in my brain yeah um but what's really weird about that is like she was like I don't know who Sage is going to meet with I don't know who Sage is going to meet with well you knew Eric and you knew that Sage had been seeing Eric yeah you knew damn well right so I find that really hard to believe and grasp yeah like I can't I can't tie, like, I can't tie the strings in my head, but, like, there's something going on there. Yeah. There's, I, I don't Like, know. I've got to think about it a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And I don't, and by the way, no one's guilty. We're not saying that anyone's guilty. We're saying that everybody's sus. Eric might be guilty. Um, I think I'm going to say that Eric's guilty. Yeah. I think, well, I think anybody would say that in their right mind, you know, because it's just. I mean, the police are basically saying it. Yeah. So can <laughs> well, say it. Well, no, they're, they're literally not saying that. That's the issue. They're only classifying him as a person of interest. But then they had the audacity to say that they think the family hurt the investigation by po- like scaring him on Facebook by like posting his picture and phone number. Okay. Well, their daughter's missing. So. Well, their daughter was straight up missing and y'all weren't doing anything about it. And they had to do that to prove to you that there was like something going on right you weren't and they were like no they scared him away and okay now do i think that anybody anybody should have to go through being outed on social media ever no i don't i I, agree with that that i mean that's rough like even even if you weren't involved and like you knew that like you you weren't ready like i i would maybe he just ran because of that so that's Mm -hmm. a whole nother side of this yeah i didn't even think of that that is true and his mom like got on a press conference and was like baby like just come home to me like if you're in trouble let me help you if you're scared let me help you just come home to me yeah so I you know that there there's a whole nother side of that so mm-hmm. I don't think anybody deserves to be outed like that but I don't think it flopped the investigation if anything police should have acted faster and used that absolutely because he was still there he mm-hmm. was still in Charlottesville before Mm-hmm. So if it just wouldn't have been taken serious, what does it matter? And it's not like the media was reporting on it. So how did he find this out? Yeah. Damn. <sighs> but oh, that is the shit. cases for today, guys. Um, 
back to regular scheduled programming next week. And um, Patreon, we're about to record you guys an app. Yeah, we're recording you next, Patreon. Um, we're still laying in bed, and we'll be laying in bed for Patreon yeah, also. Yeah, we definitely so. will, because I'm so comfy. Yeah. I'm living my best life. I don't know where the mouse is or the keypad, but we're vibing. <laughs> oh, I found the mouse. All right, guys. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, we will see you guys next week. And uh, if you guys have any questions, concerns, you can email us at creepsandcrimespodcast at gmail.com. If you have a creepy account that you would like to send in, please send that in at creepsandcrimespodcast at gmail.com. If you can't remember what our email is, you can go down to our show description. There's going to be a link down to it down there. Or you can go to the link to our website that has a contact us page where you can click from there to send us an email. And also you can chat with us on there. Send us your submissions or uh well, recommendations or creepy account submissions. You can follow us on Instagram at Creeps and Crimes Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Creeps underscore Crimes. On TikTok at Creeps and Crimes. And Morgan's personal is? Morg.m double the G. And mine is Taylor J with an A. And, and also, Ollie's is Ollie's World. Ollie's World. Also go like our Facebook page. And we are still interacting, commenting back and forth, messaging you guys on our private Facebook groups. So join those. Subscribe. Subscribe. Love you. Bye.